Let's pray and get into this. Father, uh, we do thank you once again, God, for your grace in our lives. And Lord, we do look forward to what we can learn about you and about us. And I think especially as we're studying these people, the, and, uh, the men and women here in this, quote, hall of faith, that God, I thank you that as we look at them, we know, God, that once again, they were just like us. And Lord, here they did extraordinary things because all of them believed in an extraordinary God. And so I pray once again this morning, just move in our hearts, have your way with us. Lord, teach us and guide us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we get into this, once again, just a reminder, this author is writing to some people who are struggling, their church is struggling, they're trying to do it, and he's using these people as an example for them to keep going, don't give up, don't quit, you can do it. And so the same for us. And uh, we're going through people, we spent some time. And then last week, I know when I introduced the, at least this section, I said there's six people, we're gonna do them two at a time. And I did two last week. And then this week, you should never say things. Because then this week as I started studying, and I know now I've flipped it all around too. As I started studying, I was going to do this person we're gonna look at today, Jephthah, I was gonna do him really fast. I just kinda go, go through. And I started studying, and then more came, and more came, and more came. So we're only doing one today. And maybe next week we'll only do one. Maybe we'll do three, I don't know. But you know, this is my plan. But listen carefully. I believe, listen, I believe this guy is a great example. And most of us only remember him for one thing he did. And that one thing is not cool that he did, but man, when we start looking at the culture around him, everything that went on, I think if there's anything that's appropriate for our day, our time, this guy might be the best example we have. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, I'm gonna read 32 through 34. It says, and what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. So again, he kind of gives us this thing, and now I know that author said that, what does he say here? He says, for time would fail me. And I'm thinking, it's not gonna fail me. We're gonna stop and look at these guys somewhat. Because I think, listen, especially, especially, have you ever read through chapter 11 and thought, why is Jephthah in there? Why him? Of all of, all of the people, why that guy? Well, hopefully today we can find out and we can kind of get a little bit different perspective of this guy and look at him a little bit differently than just one thing he did. And we'll talk about that one thing. So leave here, go to chapter 11 of Judges. And once again, I wanna set it up a little bit. So we looked at Gideon last time. Then after Gideon, you had a guy named Abimelech who reigned for, I forget how long. And then you had, I, I didn't write that down. And then you have Tola and Jair. And, and listen, all together, I think we're looking at like 70 years of following after God. That's a good thing. 
and they're going along, and then at the beginning, or here in verse six, I want to pay attention, verse six of chapter 10. I know I told you to go to chapter 11, but back up a little bit. It says, then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's the theme of Judges. And it sort of bums me. Listen, they go so far, and then they fall back. And then they go so far, and they fall back. I think in chapter 10, they didn't just fall back. I think they stuck it in reverse and went for about eight miles. They blow it, man. When you look at what goes on now, these guys have majorly blowing it. So they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and look at the rest of that verse, and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, they were serving seven different gods. And it's one thing, listen, it's one thing to forsake the Lord, but it's another thing to forsake the Lord and then start serving false gods or these other deities or whatever you put up as God. And now, listen, I think this might be, in my mind, maybe one of the lowest points for Israel. How could they get so far away where they are serving the gods that, check this out, of the people they conquered. When Joshua came in and they took the land, they conquered the people. Uh, we'll come back to, and, and talk about this a little bit, but go down to verse 11. It says, so the Lord said to the children of Israel, did I not deliver you from, from the Egyptians, from the Amorites, from the people of Ammon, Ammon, from the Philistines, also from the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Moabites, oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Listen, there's seven countries listed there, and they're serving those seven gods, and I'm thinking, how do you do that? And something to keep in mind, those seven gods, those nations, you know what their main form of worship was? Human sacrifice. They sacrificed their babies, a lot of us know, onto the arms of Molech. And thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, that archaeologically find, uh, or the archaeological, uh, arch the guys. The archaeology—I uh, don't know. I can't. Now I won't ever say that. The dudes with shovels have found like hundreds of thousands of children that were sacrificed. Now a lot of us get sad about that, but look at the correlation to today, where we're at in our country and what is going on. We have forsaken the one true God for a whole bunch of other gods. And we're sacrificing babies by the minute in our country. A lot of correlation, right? That's where, that's where Israel was at. And I look at this, and, and i got to be really honest. It's sort of frightening. So go back now in verse 7. I want to go back to verse 7. I wanted to get that part, but I want to go back to verse 7. It says, so the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. Now, if you study the rest of Judges and really the rest of the history of Israel, it's the Philistines and the people from Ammon that hassle them the whole time. I'm thinking, why didn't you just do away with them? Why didn't you have victory? So God, listen, 
God is angry against them. Once again, he puts them in a hard spot. Once again, they cry out to the Lord and they're crying out and they're asking the Lord to deliver them. Now, this is where, I don't know quite how to put this, but this is where I think God maybe has a tad, tad bit of sarcasm. Look at verse 13. They're crying out to him and he says, yet you have forsaken me and served other gods, therefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen and let them deliver you in your time of distress. Wow. I think one of the scariest things that I read in scripture is when God finally says, you can have it your way. Go for it. That's frightening. And here's what he's saying. I'm done. Go call on those gods. You want to go worship those gods? Go call on those gods. Now, I get scared for Israel. I, I know, I've read my Bible, I've read through, but I read this part and I think, are they at a place of no return? Are they at that place? What just happened? And listen to the heart of God towards them. And then it says, listen, for once, the children of Israel, verse 15, and the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned, do whatever seems best to you, only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and they served the Lord and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. For the first time they repent, all through the book of Judges, up to this, all 11 chapters, they have just, or 10 chapters, they have just, they, they kind of say they're sorry, but they've never repented. Here, man, they put away everything. I'm sort of blown away. And they come back and then, listen, the Lord doesn't say, I'm going to respond. Here's what he says. I can't handle your misery. Wow. So we know something's about to happen. But before that happens, it says in verse 17, then the people of Ammon gathered together, encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped at Mizpah. And the people of the leaders of Gilead said to one another, who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? And he shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So they got a problem. And here's what's fascinating. We're gonna look at this guy. This is one of the times it never says, and God raised him up. Interesting. So now the children of Israel have a dilemma. There's a nation coming against them. How are we going to handle this? They're asking one another. They know that they can't really fight against this entity. It's too big. It's too large. So what exactly, you know, who is it we can find that would be really good and help us out here since we've made God mad. I'm gonna put that part in. So check out, we get the history, then this sort of backs up a little bit in verse one of chapter 11. It says, now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. So listen, man, as we think of this guy, I don't know about you guys, but Joshua and Judges are kind of full of prostitutes. It's like the Bible's so real, right? So here's this guy, his dad was prominent, but he was the son of a harlot. But it seems like his dad took responsibility, took him in. That's a good thing, but his brother's not so much. Look at verse two, Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. That's a nice way of putting it, right? 
get out. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Wow, are you getting a little bit of insight into this guy named Jephthah? Number one, just, just surrounding his birth and that stigma that he probably carried even before his brothers came down on him. And then his brothers reject him. They push him out. Get out of here. Go away. That had to do some damage to that guy, emotionally, psychologically. And Israel, listen, Israel, what are they doing? They're worshiping seven other gods because we backed up. They're in that place where they're worshiping all these other gods. And now he got pushed out. And so here's the interesting thing. Usually when people get hurt severely, they get very angry. And they get angry at the world. And they start coming against the world. Check out what this guy does. It's kind of, to me, sort of fascinating. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers in verse three and dwelt in the land of Tob and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and they went out uh, raiding with him. So he goes up north and he starts a terrorist group. Let's just be honest, right? He starts a terrorist organization and he starts terrorizing every place and taking over. Now, one thing we find out from that is this guy's a good fighter. He's excellent at what he does and he's like ruling that area and something I find that's always interesting to me is usually people who get that angry and kind of that pushy and, and that aggressive are usually very insecure. And I think he was insecure, obviously, because of what his brothers had done to him, where he came from. He had all these insecurities that he's trying to deal with. And a lot of people that I know that are deeply insecure are also, at the same time, very narcissistic, very self-centered. And that's Jephthah to T. He's very narcissistic, he's that way. So now, now we know what's going on. So now, now we come back up to where we left off in chapter 10, and here's what's going on. The Ammonites are coming in. Israel doesn't know what to do. Hey, who do we get? I don't know, man, I heard about this terrorist organization up north. Maybe we could get that guy that's leading that terrorist organization, and he used to be one of us. Maybe we could, maybe we could entice him to come back down because we need a good fighter. So they call him, right? They, I don't know if they texted him, how they got a hold of him. Maybe put it on Facebook, I don't know. But it says, and it came to pass after that time the people of Ammon made war, in verse four, against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So here they go, they find this guy. He's a good fighter and they're going, hey, why don't you come down Listen, why don't you come down and help us out? I kind of think that's comical. You know, that to me, when you go that, hey, they went big for somebody. It would be kind of like us doing a, a, a little scramble golf tournament here and calling Tiger. <laughs> Could you come and play with us? You know, kind of that over the top doing those kind of things. So, so, and some of you have no clue about golf, so that's okay. Put it into whatever vernacular. I'm looking over here, somebody a soccer star, but I don't know what soccer star to call. So anyway, so plug in, just think about this. You get this guy that's like the best of everything and you call him to come and help you. And you're like this big. 
So Israel says, hey, can you come and help us? Now here's where I believe Jephthah shines. Because here's the thing, Jephthah, we're gonna find out, great communicator, excellent negotiator. And so as they call him to come, he starts his negotiations with the people of Gilead first. And it says, verse seven, so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, huh, now you want me? Oh, I'm sorry, wait. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? I mean, think how you would feel. And, and, now, and he says, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house, right? Aren't you the guys who everybody wanted me to leave and you don't want me around? Now you want me around? Strange. And then he says this. He says, why have you come to me now when you are in distress. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you again. So why have you come when you're in distress? Because we're in distress, that's why we came to you, right? That's why we came to you again, uh, uh, or turned to you, again to you, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Oh, do you see what they enticed him with? We don't just want you to fight for us. We want you to be our king. We want you to be head over us. Oh, do you know what that does to a narcissistic person? That makes their head blow off, right? Oh, so here's what he says. Listen, he makes sure. Now, now here's where finally the Lord comes into this. So Jephthah, in verse 9, said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? Now here's what, here's what I kind of like. This guy knows, listen, this guy knows, he knows what he does and he knows that he does it well. But did you notice what he said? He didn't say, if I come home and fight and win, what does he say? If I come home and the Lord delivers this. Yahweh, he brings Yahweh in. Who are they worshiping? They're worshiping Moloch and Baal and Ashtoreth and all those other gods. And here's what he says. And Yahweh comes, then am I gonna be your head? Oh, Mr. Negotiator, right? Brings the Lord into it. That's a good thing. So the people said, and the elders of Gilead in verse 10 they said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your word. So here's what they said. Okay, and God is our witness. Yahweh is our witness. So then, listen, he does a little bit more negotiations, gets things settled, and then as we go on, and I'm not gonna go through this verse by verse, and, and you can get our, our teaching on judges, and it's probably different than what I'm teaching now. But listen, then he gets into the place where he gets a hold of the king of Ammon, and here's what he says. Why are you coming against me and my land? Ammon's never come against him. And now all of a sudden, Israel's his land. And then Ammon says, because you took our land, and we want it back, and we want you off our land. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like Israel today? Not only do we want our land back, we don't even want you on this planet so we want to get rid of you. It's interesting, you know, thousands of years ago, same story, same group of people over that same little plot of land that is pretty insignificant. If you've been to Israel, hey, it's a joy to go to Israel because that's where Jesus walked and because of the history. But that little strip of land, 
Like, man, especially when you get in the wilderness. Like their wilderness, when I think of wilderness, I think of pine trees, big mountains, streams. Wilderness in Israel is dirt and rocks, and that's it. And it's full of wilderness. So, and again, every time I hear this battle going on, I'm thinking, why is there such a battle? Because God said, that's my land. And that's the whole issue. So, getting back to this, the people of Ammon say, no way, you know, we're not gonna listen to you about coming against you, we're coming against you because you have taken our land. So then, here's what I love about Jephthah. Jephthah knows history. A lot of commentators say he knows his Bible. I don't think he knows his Bible. And he didn't have a lot of Bible to know. I don't think he knew his Bible. I think he knew his history, and he knew his history well. And here's what I love. Now he negotiates with the people of Ammon. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Diplomacy, you know, we can talk back and forth about diplomacy, but it seems like a lot of times diplomacy just ends up at the end of people calling each other names and fighting anyway. So now he's using diplomacy, and now here's what he's gonna tell them. He's gonna witness to them, and I want us to, I want us to learn from him how to witness to people, and this is why I wanted to spend some time with him. How do we witness to people? Oh, by the way, when we were singing, I am redeemed, I was thinking of Jephthah. Who did he used to be? The son of a harlot, and he was exiled, and now he comes back and he's king. Wow, talk about a redemption. I bet he could sing that song. Listen, and now, listen, now this guy's come back. He did not allow his family, his birth, he didn't allow any of the negative things that were in his life hinder him from doing what God had called him to do, from taking a responsibility and the opportunity that God has given him. So now he starts this negotiation with the people of Ammon. And he goes through the history, and here's what he tells them. When we came out of Egypt, we first tried to negotiate with the king of Moab. He said no. Then we tried to negotiate with the, uh, the king in the south. I'm trying to think of who he was. I lost him. Anyway, the king down in the south there. It'll come to me kind of sometime, and I'll blurt it out. So then we tried to negotiate with him, and he said, eat him. So we tried to negotiate with Moab. Then we tried to negotiate with Edom, and then... They wouldn't do it, so then we were gonna kind of just walk through the middle, and all we wanted to do was go from point A to point B, but Sihon, right, the king of Og, he said, you're not coming through here, and Israel said, yeah, we are. And he said, no, you're not, so they beat the tar out of him, and they took that land. So that's what he told them. Listen, this is what happened. We didn't take any land from Ammon, we didn't even take any land from Moab. We didn't even take any land from Edom. We took land from the Amorites who wanted to fight with us. So we took that land. Now, if you know historically, if you look historically, the Amorites took it from the Moabites. So there's a whole like weird thing. And again, when you look at Israel today, all that stuff gets weird. But here's what he says. First, he gives them history. You know when we witness to people, sometimes it's good to just give them some historical facts. Just talk to them historically. I love to ask people or tell people or even sometimes yell at people, do you know it's a fact that Jesus Christ lived? Anybody who denies that that person lived is in la-la land. 
Historically, we can prove it. Historically, listen, you go to Israel today, Jews in Israel who do not believe he's the Messiah know he lived. Why? It's all around them. So listen, do a little bit of historical dialogue with people. Give them a little bit of history. And then here's what they'll say. Where did you get that from? From the Bible. Well, how do I know you can trust the Bible? Then you can give them some facts about, hey, historical facts. Why can I trust the Bible? Because of manuscript evidence, because of of what we know today from what we knew then. The Dead Sea Scrolls, you can go on and on. There is more evidence for the Bible being true than any other historical writing ever. So kind of go that direction. I think that's a good thing to do. Give people some history. And so he gives them the history and goes through it. And then long about verse 24, he throws in a little bit of theology. He's going to come back to it, but he throws in a little bit of theology. And here's what he says. Will you not possess whatever uh, kamash your, your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God uh, takes possession of before us, we will possess. Do you hear what he says? Hey, if your God gives you something, aren't you going to take it? Well, of course you are. Again, that's some theology. Think about this, people. And I love that he's doing that. Then he goes to experience. And saints, listen, I think we should have some history when we share with people, some facts, historical facts. I think theology needs to come in there. But I also think there's nothing wrong with sharing our experience. You don't want your experience to be the basis of what you do, but I think it's an important thing to tell people, I am redeemed. I'm not who I used to be. You can even sing it to them if you want, right? Hey, you're not that person. You got changed, and you can tell people, here's what happened when I came to the Lord. This is what took place in my life. Listen to what he says. I kind of like this, and This kind of goes along with what goes on today in in society, or at least in the Middle East. Verse 25, and now are you better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Remember what Balak did? If you don't remember what Balak did, get in your Bible, read uh, Numbers, because I know you're all in the middle of Numbers now and enjoying it, so get there, read about him. Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages in Aroa or Aror and its villages and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them at that time? Do you hear what he just said? We've been here 300 years. What is your problem? Right? That always blows my mind when, you know, especially in today's culture, somebody wants to do something to somebody else, don't confuse me with facts, number one, historical, but even greater than that, don't confuse me with what's happened. No, this has really happened. No, history, we have to figure, we gotta rewrite history. We gotta change history. Here's what he says, we've been here 300 years. How come you never brought this up before? Why all of a sudden, 300 years later, now you're bringing it up, right? And so... That's kind of good. Then theology again. Therefore, I have not sinned against you in verse 27, but you wronged me by fighting against me. Now listen, here's his faith. Here's why he's in the hall of faith. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. Here's what he says. Let God, I'm gonna let God handle it. 
all the diplomacy broke down. And again, when you witness the people, share with them. Share with them what God has done and give them a little bit of theology. You know, as Pastor Rob said before service, we were talking a little bit about, about the crucifixion and what went on. And by the way, we're gonna do a good Thursday instead of a good Friday. I thought I'd throw that out for a commercial. <laughs> now for your commercial break, brought to you by, but yeah, we're gonna do good Thursday, and here's the thing, we'll do good Thursday in communion. So now back to the study, sorry, that just popped in my head. You'd be amazed what's in there. One time somebody told Charles Spurgeon, why would you say those things? And he said, oh, you would be amazed what I don't say. So it's like, there's a lot in there. So back to this, listen, it's, it's back and forth and here's the thing. He's letting them know, here's what happened. Here's the theology. We know that, we've, that God has given us this land. And then here's the practical part. We've been here 300 years. And they come undone, and so here's what he says. Okay, then let God be the judge. I like that. Then it tells us in verse 29, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and and from Mizpah of Gilead, he advanced toward the people of Ammon. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. I believe as Christians... Too many times we read the New Testament indwelling, infilling of the Spirit back into the Old Testament. It was, it's two different things. It's entirely two different things. More often than not, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon somebody in the Old Testament, it was to empower them in a dangerous situation. It wasn't, listen, we have the Spirit of the Lord to teach us, to convict us, to guide us, to strengthen us. There's mostly, listen, wasn't that way. So a lot of people read this and they go, well, he was filled with the Spirit, so once he's filled with the Spirit, he does everything right. Well, that doesn't even pan out in Christianity, right? We get filled with the Spirit and we still sin. So listen, I, this empowering of the Spirit, I believe was for battle. So now he gets ready to go to battle and he's ready to go to that war because God is guiding him. Now, this is the first time I believe that God says, okay, Jephthah's the man, right? And then it says this, verse 30 is the bummer. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon or Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Oh, dude, really? Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I think I read 10 commentators on this. I think, well, actually... There was nine that had one opinion and two that had another opinion of what we're, what's going on here. The nine that have one opinion say in the original language, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I'm just gonna go with, the, with what they said. In the Hebrew language, you definitely have to interpret this that he said it this way. Whoever comes out my door, I will offer them as a burnt offering. Not it, not like, a, not like he expected a chicken to come out the door. And so I think that's important. 
So if nine guys are saying it, I'm kind of going with them. I could have read a whole bunch more, and, and it seemed like more were saying, that's what this is saying. And some people go, how could he say that if he was filled with the Spirit? He wasn't filled with the Spirit in the sense we're talking about. He was filled with the Spirit for empowerment. How could he say that? What was going on in his culture? What were people doing in his culture? They were offering human sacrifices. It wasn't, listen, it wasn't a big shock to him. It wasn't something like he's going, wow, I'm really going off the rails here and doing something crazy. Everybody around him is doing it. Sound familiar? The culture we live in is so messed up right now. And things are going like, I, I think they're spinning and spinning and spinning. And, you know, I told Gaynell the other day, I said, you know, either way, we're out of here in a short time. That's one advantage of having years, right? Yes, yes. Now listen, man, it's so, listen, it's so crazy. It was crazy for him. I believe, listen, I believe he made this vow. But here's the problem with Jephthah. What was his greatest strength? Negotiation. What is the thing he turned to when he went to serve the Lord? Negotiation. If you will do this, God, then I will do that. Any of you ever say that in your life? Especially before you get saved, right? How many times before you got saved, oh God, get me out of this, please get me out of this, I will do, I'll serve you the rest of my life and, and then you get out of it and you just like forget about God and go do the same thing over again. Or how about as Christians? Do you ever try and make deals with God as a Christian? Do you ever tell God, if you do this, I'll do this? God, listen carefully. You don't negotiate with the king of the universe. You don't negotiate with a sovereign Lord. What you do is obey. What you do is follow. What you do is say, yes, Lord. And this bums me about him, and it bums me, and I hope we can learn from him. Don't go making vows and giving vows, number one, that are flippant, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but even greater than that, don't negotiate with God. God is God, you're not. And so you know what? When you find what God wants you to do, do it. Don't tell him, God, if you will do this. Kind of, you know, even kind of the Gideon thing of putting out fleeces, and we talked about that last time. So here he is. He does that. Now, here's why I say he didn't know his Bible. According to Leviticus 18, Leviticus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 18, you do not offer human sacrifices. They are an abomination to God. So we need to know that. So here's the thing. He was driven more by his culture, although he could use the name of Yahweh. Sound familiar? He could say that name. He had some understanding, but his culture around him formed more of his religion than following after God and the revelation God has given him. God said, you do not do that. So he makes this vow. I think it's a very foolish vow. Whoever comes out on my door, now, the defenders of Jephthah say he said whatever and he was hoping a duck or a pig or, no, I guess not a pig, but he's Jewish, but, you know, an ox or whatever, maybe a pig, I don't know, but would come out and he could offer that up. I'm thinking, no. You know, even, even, even trying to, I love it when people like take scripture and they go like this, and they twist it and they're going, well, you know, people in those days kept all of their animals in their house. Seriously? Because I don't remember reading that. So it's like, come on. Quit trying to defend this guy and just say what he said. Here's what he said. Just live with that and, and understand that. So he makes this vow, 
Verse 32, so Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. Listen carefully. This was not because he's a great fighter. It's because God's a great God, right? And he defeated them from the Aror as far as Minnath and all the 20 cities. And he went through there, right? Then verse 34, when Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with a tremble and dancing, oh, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had no other son or daughter. Wow. Man. What are we going to do? Now, according to Numbers and Deuteronomy and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you don't make vows flippantly. If you're gonna make a vow, you better think about it. And then you do not break a vow. His daughter comes out, his only daughter. I believe when they brought him back, I believe Jephthah's goal was to create a dynasty. I believe his goal was, I'm gonna have Jephthah and kids and grandkids, and I'm gonna create this dynasty. Kind of sound familiar of people and politicians today and things going on? Because they're so narcissistic, they're so self-centered. I don't believe our politicians are servants anymore. And listen, man, here's this guy's heart. All he wants to do is he wants to reign and he wants to create this dynasty. So then he makes this foolish vow. Who came out? His daughter, his only daughter. Look what he does. This is kind of not good, but look what he does. Verse 35, and it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and he said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. Do you hear what he just did? Typical narcissism. It's your fault. Why did you come out? Why did you, you trouble me? It's not, wow, I made a foolish vow. No, you did it. And that's what people tend to do, right? It's always they push the blame, they push the guilt, they push everything away. And I'm thinking, dude, now I want to read here. And then his daughter walked up and slapped the snot out of him. <laughs> but man, now he says something. Once again, he doesn't know his Bible. Listen, he said something. He says, for I've given my word to the Lord and I cannot go back on it. So for all of those people, there's a whole bunch of people that say what he really did is just dedicate her to the Lord. I'm not one, well, I'm not gonna tell you how I believe. You need to figure it out. It's nine to two that he sacrificed his daughter. Two people who just can't swallow that, just can't swallow that. And again, you read it, you decide. I'm not gonna tell you here's how you believe. I think I already let it out. I kind of believe he sacrificed his daughter. But listen to this. In Leviticus chapter 27, Leviticus chapter 27 says this. I'm not going to tell you what verse, so you'll read Leviticus chapter 27. And I'm going to paraphrase it. If you have made a vow and you've dedicated your, your son to the Lord, you can pay this many shekels and redeem them. If you made a vow and you dedicated your daughter to the Lord, you can pay this many shekels and redeem them. 
And if they're this age, it's this many shekels. Are you getting my point? Shake loose of some cash, Dad. Like, what? why? Why would you say I cannot go back on it if you know your Bible? But the problem was he didn't know his Bible. He knew his culture. He knew enough about Yahweh to know he didn't want to offend him, but he was going with his culture and everything his culture said. I personally believe, I believe he sacrificed her. I don't believe he, listen, I don't believe he went to Shiloh to where the tabernacle was and had the priest do it because I think the priest would have like, what? But something happened. So you can, you can dedicate her and then it says she went out and she danced. She asked him, let me go out. Let me have four months. Let me do this. In four days we go out and yada, yada. So I don't care. I don't care. Either way, he lost his daughter because he did not, when it came down to the rubber meat in the road, he did not fully trust his God. He had to negotiate. Saints don't negotiate with God. And then more importantly, don't give your, get your revelation from I think, I feel, this is how, you know, a very subjective view of God. Get your revelation of God from his word that's very objective doesn't change. Have you noticed your Bible doesn't change? Sometimes I pray for mine to change. I want good things to happen. It doesn't change. Some of you are going, you're our pastor. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> listen, but hey, I think, listen, I think as, as sometimes as believers, we get to the place and, and even as strong believers, we don't put our faith in God's revelation. We put our faith in what we feel at the moment and what's going on at the moment. God is God every day, all day, period. Put your faith in him. He knows what he's doing. He knows the beginning from the end. You know, in our staff meetings on Tuesday, I, I almost always end our prayer thanking God for what he's gonna bring our way that week. Good, bad, and ugly. He's gonna bring it. I believe, listen, I believe our lives, if you're a believer, is directed by the hand of God. S stop negotiating. If you're a negotiator, quit it. If you're insecure, then get secure in Christ. Don't get your security from you. Get your security from Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you're narcissistic, repent. Ask your friends if you're narcissistic. That'll be a fun one. Just go up to somebody that knows you. Do you think I'm narcissistic? Don't ask your spouse because I don't want to have a bunch of marriage counseling going on. <laughs> Poor Pastor Jack. He'll be overloaded. But listen, if you're narcissistic, you already know it. Admit it. Be real with God. The good thing about this guy, he knew that this battle belonged to the Lord. The bad thing about this guy is he didn't fully believe that the battle belonged to the Lord. So saints, let's be people, let's walk with Jesus and glorify him with our lives. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you, God, for your grace in our lives and I thank you for, uh, Lord, for the opportunity to look at an individual who, Lord's not a lot different than us. And I thank you as we look at these men and women who are listed here as men and women of faith that 
they're not, they're not always, quote, super saints and perfect. But God, we get to see them with flaws. We get to see them with, with major, major uh, uh, character shortages, character flaws, and God, yet, through you, they're redeemed. And I thank you, just as we sang this morning, that God, we're not who we used to be. And I always think about, I may not be who I'm used to be, but I'm not who you see I, I am. But I'm on the way. And so God, as we walk that journey, let us be men and women who focus on Jesus Christ and lift the name of Jesus high. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more moments. And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, you've never asked him to forgive your sins and to guide and direct you, then you know what, man, you are in the right place today. Right now is the time to do that. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you will be saved. By that, here's what, the, here's what we mean, and here's what the Bible means. By calling on his name, you need to come to the place, number one, where you admit that you're a sinner. That shouldn't be hard. Everybody in here is a sinner. Everybody in here has sinned. You gotta be real with God. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen carefully. You didn't sin and then become a sinner. You, were a, you, you sinned because you are a sinner. And so just confess that to God. Let him know. I know that I offended a holy and righteous God. And then the Bible says the wages of that is death, separation from God. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came to the cross. He didn't just die physically. He also died spiritually. He was separated from God spiritually. And he took all of your sin, as Pastor Rob shared in the beginning. He took all of your sin, all of my sin, all the sin of the world upon himself. And he paid that price in a moment, in an instant of time. And now you need to let him know that you know he did that for you. So the best way to do that is just talk to him. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and you can say this prayer with me out loud. You can say it silently, but it's gotta come from your heart. You need to be sincere. If you're, watch, if you're watching online and you're home and God has touched your heart and you feel like you need to call on his name, say this prayer. You don't need to be in this building. If you're here today and you're backslidden, and you decided to go to church today for whatever reason, and you're here, and right now you know you need to come back to Jesus, then come home. His arms are open wide. Come back to Jesus. He loves you. Say this prayer with us, and again, you can say it out loud or you can say it silently. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. 
I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.